Turn with me now, if you would, uh, in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're in a series on Judges. As we begin today, let me tell you that I I broke the second rule of preaching. Uh, Rule number one is prayer. Number two is make sure your batteries are are full. Mine are, I just looked, they're running low. But maybe that ends things early. You never know. All right? So you can hope. Okay. Um, We're in Judges, uh, end of chapter 10. Moving into 11, and these verses are all about God's grace. Now, if the idea of grace is new to you, foreign to you, this chap- these chapters, the Jephthah cycle, is quite a study. Uh, we sing of God's amazing grace. Everyone knows that song. But, but the Jephthah story over four weeks, even in the midst of tragedy, is, is a PhD on just how amazing God's grace is even, again, in the face of that tragedy. Let's uh, read God's word. We're starting at end of chapter 10, verse 17, and we're going up to verse 11 of chapter 11. Here now the reading of God's word. Then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead. And the people of Israel came together, and they encamped in Mitzpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man? who will begin to fight against the Ammonites. He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we might fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is your word, that it's not our word, that it's not myth but it's your revealed will and word to your people about who you are and what you're about and what you want for your people, and that these events with real people speak to us today. Lord, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, again, we're talking about grace today. Uh, First of all, that God's grace can use and save anyone. It's the first thing we'll look at. God's grace can use and save anyone. It's amazing. Uh, in the, the, the way the judges is moving on 
God is so gracious to use really anyone. Uh, number two, God uses humility to show us his grace. So often, God uses humility to show us his grace. And number three, God gives you certainty in salvation in the way he uses grace. Okay? So God can use and save anyone. First thing we'll look at, God uses typically, very typically, humility in your life to show you grace. And then God gives you certainty in your salvation. So let's look first at, at this idea that can God really use anybody to do as well? Recently in our series on Judges, I've been, I have to tell you, I have to admit, I've been speaking out of one side of my mouth. And when it comes to salvation, it's, it's, it's been sort of sub-Christian. Right? I need to speak out of both sides of my mouth, and here's what I mean by that. For at least the last three weeks, I've been saying how the book of Judges is getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, that for the people of God, this slide is precipitous. We're going downward, downward, and downward. And each individual we meet along the way is pretty much worse than the one before. And that's true. And I st stand by that comment. The level of depravity among God's people is slipping lower and deeper, verse by verse. But what I haven't said is that you will be surprised how many of these same people God is redeeming. How many of these depraved people God is saving. These same people. The more and more depraved, they're more and more saved as we move along. When I was in uh, high school, uh, there was a bit of a crew I hang out, hung out with to know me is to know that they weren't that bad. But we got into some trouble. We got into the kind of trouble that could at least get you expelled a couple of times, came close to it. One of the guys in, in, in my crew, so to speak, was a, a guy named Wayne Myers. And uh, if Wayne walked in the room light right now, I'd be a little shaky because he's got stuff on me that I would not want you to know. Now, the only, the only defense I have for that is I got stuff on Wayne, okay? And I would say that over the years, we fell out of touch. We haven't even been curious about each other because if we actually did see each other, it would bring back memories of all that stuff, that, some of the stuff that we'd like to forget. But wouldn't you know, a, a high school reunion and that, and that you know, certifiable evil Facebook that was used to put it together. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, yeah. Um, brought us back in touch. And uh, of all things, there in the description, there's a description there of all the classmates that you're going to see at the reunion. There's Wayne, who is now a Presbyterian minister in Boca Raton, Florida. And while, you know, we could rejoice, and we did, we rejoice in God's work, uh, you know, in each of our lives, uh, it was Wayne who was actually the first one to say, wow, I never would have guessed God could use you as a pastor, David. <laughs> right back at you. I wish I was the one to say that first. Well, this man, Jephthah, is even more unlikely than I am, Okay. And yet, in just this time period, think about this time period. This is the time period between Joshua and King David. This whole section of history includes some of the most unlikely people you could ever possibly imagine that God would use. Not just use, but save and redeem. There he is. Now, this is the motley crew Jephthah is with. Jephthah is right there with Gideon, Barak maybe worst of all, Samson, right there in Hebrews 11. 
He is an illegitimate child. More on that in a second. He is a harlot's son. He is born in a brothel. He has no inheritance. Even, even the stuff that's not his fault. Later in life, he surrounds himself, we're told, by his own choice, with worthless men. But there he is in Hebrews 11, the so-called hall of faith. If you're in Hebrews 11, you're in, you're in heaven. This is the way of God. This is the way of God. You know, if the world is still here 5,000 years from now, nobody's going to know about any one of us. But you know who you know they're going to know about? They're going to know about the woman at the well 5,000 years from now, if, if the Lord doesn't return. The woman with all of the husbands. The woman who wasn't praying when Jesus met with her. The woman who wasn't seeking. Uh, the, the, the 5,000 years from now, if Christ has not returned, I will long be forgotten. But the Apostle Paul, who plotted the death of Christians, who breathed threats against the followers of Jesus, who took his persecution on the road. It wasn't enough to just persecute the people in Jerusalem. He took his show on the road to kill Christians wherever he could find them. This is the kind of person that no one ever expects to be converted. Paul, Paul would have been the, one of the new atheists of his day. His opposition was deep. His opposition was articulate. Uh, so much of his life would have been threatened if Christianity were true. He had everything invested in not becoming a believer in Jesus. But this Paul, God not only used, but saved. God is pleased to use and save the most unlikely people. God can speak out of, you see, both sides of his mouth. He can say sinner and saint at the same time. It's right there in the Bible. Just some someday time this week, maybe just open up the, the book of, of 1 Corinthians. Now, this is a book where Paul just blasts the church. He talks about divisions in the church. Multiple chapters in that book are on sexual immorality. The fact that they don't do church discipline. I could go on and on and on. But how does the book start? To the saints at the church in Corinth, those that God has sanctified, past tense, is set apart for all this blessing. They're sinners and they're saints at the same time. Sinners saved by grace. I love this, uh, this uh, uh, quotation on the back from an ancient foe, you could say, of Christianity in its early years. 175 AD, it's in the back of your bulletin, page 12. This guy by the name of Celsus who was a philosopher. This is how he describes Christians. Right? By the fact that the Christians admit that the outcasts are worthy of God, they show that they want and are able to convince only the foolish, dishonorable, and stupid, and only slaves, women, and little children. He's talking about y'all. <laughs> He's talking about us. He's talking about the Christians, right? Sinners saved by grace. That's what the, the, the passage that Christian read for us earlier in Paul's own words. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. God even chose the things that are not, that are big fat zero, to bring to nothing those that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
That's grace. Christianity is grace by definition. Christianity is grace by definition. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what you... What, what somebody's done to you. Anyone, anywhere can meet Jesus. Anybody. Anyone here can have Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've been living. It doesn't matter if you've been living right inside the gates of hell. You can meet Jesus. It doesn't matter what degree of degradation you've been in. Christianity is a matter of grace. That's why it's always a surprise. Jephthah is a surprise. You should see yourselves when you look in the mirror as a follower of Jesus as a surprise. Me? A Christian? Now let me show you just one surprise in the Jephthah story before we... I, I, there's too much here to, to really uh, uh, talk about. But just take one thing. Jephthah is illegitimate. Now that's not even a word we even use anymore, which is why I think it's fascinating to look at it. He is born out of wedlock. Now, this was a serious thing among God's people, uh, a serious thing in the Old Covenant. Look with me. Stick your finger in here at, at um, Judges 11. Turn back to Deuteronomy 23. You're using the church Bibles, the blue ones, uh, page 209. Um, serious thing. We, you know, one of the things that, of course, is happening in Deuteronomy is God is separating the people of God off from the nations. And he wants holiness, and he wants purity, and he wants the, the, um, the, the word to pass on from generation to generation and uh, uh, for, for the people to be a people set apart, a holy people, a holy nation. And uh, uh, likely um, having children out of wedlock means that that's going to be a problem to pass on the, the, the faith. There are all kinds of reasons that the Lord might have had. But look at verse 2. Chapter 23, no one born of a forbidden union, the, the New American Standard, the, the, the most wooden of, of um, English translations says, no one of illegitimate birth may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, this is serious stuff. Even though Jephthah's illegitimacy is not his fault, we don't pick our parents. You can almost see why God's people seeking to live by the law might tell Jephthah, move along, kid. You can enter, if you can't enter the tent of meeting, if your kids can't enter the tent of meeting, uh, if your kids can't worship and their kids can't worship, move along. You've got no inheritance. You can almost see how the Israelites are behaving. But you know, because you've gotten to know the Israelites in the book of Judges, it's really about the inheritance, right? They really just don't want to give them the money. They want them out of there. They don't want to split it 11 ways. It's all about the money. But have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? If this is God's law in the Old Testament, it's God's word, Deuteronomy 23, and if illegitimacy matters to God for whatever reason, maybe it's just simple obedience to his law. Why does God use an illegitimate son to do his bidding here in Judges? Why does God use Jephthah? He's illegitimate. Is he breaking his own law? What's going on here? And once again, I think it's about showing us the grace of God. It's about the grace of God. Once again, stick your finger in Judges 11 again and turn with me now forward to John 8. John 8. 
page 1138 of, of the Blue Bibles. How does the New Testament, or maybe better, who, who does the New Testament see as illegitimate? Look at John 8.39. Jesus is speaking, think about this, to Jewish teachers of the law, and there's a debate going on about who's Jesus' daddy. Right? Who's your daddy compared to us? Right? Basically, Jesus, we think you're illegitimate. They answered him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Now there's a little implication about who their father is. They said to him, we were born not of sexual immorality, some translations, by the way, there say fornication. In other words, Jesus, if we take you at your word, you don't really know who your human daddy is because you say you're born of a virgin. We have one father, they say, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Don't miss the point. God, Jesus says, is interested in spiritual descent not physical ancestry, so that legitimate sons, by the way, boy or girl, because in the New Covenant, every believer gets the new, the, the inheritance, full inheritance of the firstborn son. Right? We get all of what Jesus has to give us, no matter what our gender is. Legitimate sons are those who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who've been saved by grace. God adopts us, you see, into the family. God makes sinners who are illegitimate sinners, saints. He adopts you into his family by and through the blood of Christ. That's what we celebrate at this table. We come to the family table and we share in who Christ is for us. God is so gracious because, in a sense, we're all illegitimately born. We're, we're sons and daughters of Adam that need to be saved, you see. God is particularly gracious because we are not born with the ability to even see grace. It has to be given. God has to give us the lenses, the Bible says, to, to give us the eyes to see, ears to hear, to see grace. It is amazing the unlikely people that God can use and save. Second point. He almost always brings us to a place of humility to show us his grace. Almost always brings us to a place of humility to show us his grace. In the Bible, there is a connection between humility and grace. James 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Now think about this. Let me show you this. Things, do you remember? I mean, for, 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 for a people that's going to hell in a handbasket, things ended pretty well last week. Things ended on a slightly high note in chapter 10, verse 16. Remember? And they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. Amen. Great news. But as we said last week, your idols don't give up without a fight. 
Your idols don't give up without a fight. Idols enslave. Idols chains. I mean, they, they don't want you to unchain yourself from them very easily. There's a battle on for your soul. Here, no sooner do the people throw off the Ammonite idols that they've been worshiping, verse 17, where what happens? The Ammonites fight back. The Ammonites fight back. You're not worshiping our idols? You think you can just walk away? No way. We are going to put the clamp down on you immediately. You're going to come back and worship us again. So they call themselves to arms. They amass an army and encamp around the Israelites. Oh, and don't miss this. Anytime Israel had tried to get themselves out from under Ammonite rule over like the last two decades, look back at verses 8 and 9. For 18 years, they'd been under the oppressive boot of Ammon. Every time they tried to get out from under that, they failed. These are the, this is the same Ammon we were talking about last week that, that worships the god Molech, that, that demanded child sacrifice from the Israelites. So see what's going on here. Israel has decided to turn from their worthless idols and their false gods to the Lord, to Yahweh. But as soon as they do that, their old life starts to fight back. I want you to think about Romans 7 here. There's some application. I don't have time necessarily to get to it all this week, but we're going to get to it later on. <clears throat> the very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Every time you see your sin, every time you see your heart, you want to stop doing sin, the old man wants you back, right? It's just like, it's like, a, like a friend of mine describes it as like a zombie hanging on your back. You just can't like shake your old self off. It's like a dead carcass of you following you around. So, so the, the people frantically look around. They're looking for a deliverer, the, the Israelites. They're looking for a mighty warrior. Because the Ammonites are, again, massed. They're right outside of town. They're, they're, the army's collecting. And they can see get, them gathering for war. And every time they, they even thought of escape, they've given up. And you can just see the leaders of Gilead, you know, in that, like a, you know, uh, I don't know, the thousand-year-old Rolodex, you know. <laughs> who do we got here? You know, who, can, who can fight for us? Candidate by candidate, name through name. It's like finding, trying to find a quarterback for the Jets, right? Like Al Whittall, no. Browning Nagel, no. Ray Lucas, no. Brooks Bollinger, no. Geno Smith, no. Mark Sanchez, definitely no. <laughs> no one to inspire us. No hope for us. No one has the qualifications. We'll never, you know, no, no one to inspire us. There's nobody. Look at verse 18. Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? They can't even get somebody to begin, let alone somebody to actually do it. Who can begin to do it? And then look down at verse 4. As they're wringing their hands, who's going to do this? They're suddenly under attack. Suddenly, some, we've got to find somebody, <laughs> anybody, you know. The battle is on. The enemy's engaging them. And as much as they're pained to admit it, the legitimate, can't miss that, the legitimate sons of Gilead are forced to consider the illegitimate half-brother Jephthah. Think about the humility that that required. <laughs> we, nobody even has the card in the Rolodex for for Jeff anyway. We threw that out. We deleted him from our from our inbox. All the emails, we got rid of them. They're not in our they're not in our phone anymore. Who's got a contact for Jeff? They have to call in the mighty man, the young man that they 
themselves drove out of town as unworthy. And notice this. Things are so bad with the enemy at the gate that the city leaders, the legitimate sons, give their scouts, give their recruiters the authority to offer Jephthah the role not just as general, but as city governor. Not just as their commander, but verses 9 and 10, their head. They're selling it all out to be saved by the mighty man to save them. Now, friends, this is how faith and repentance and grace work. This is how humility and grace work together. Like Israel, when God is calling you, and maybe he's calling you right now. When God is calling you, and you say, I think I need to change. I think I need to turn away from where I've been going. You immediately, this is normal, you immediately become unstable. You do. It just, it, it happens. And, 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 and then it's what happens in that moment. It's what happens next that is so important. Because some people, as they're moving away and saying, I have to turn away, they get the, the world's getting shaky because all their marbles have been in whatever's given them hope and identity and, 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 and meaning. Some of you say, you know, I wish I had faith like you. It would be great if I really believed in Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, you don't have to create saving faith. You don't create saving faith. All you have to do, listen to me closely, is transfer your faith because you're faithing. Whether you think you are or not, you're faithing. Transfer the faith you already have. You don't have to whip up faith in me. You just have to transfer from where it is now, someplace, someplace you're, you're, you're already drinking deep, someplace you're going for purpose, someplace you're going for love, someplace that you're, you know, your career, your appearance, your acceptance by friend, maybe, maybe really making a difference in your world, in the world has been your meaning. Maybe it's a political cause. Maybe it's the stock market. Maybe it's a security. Maybe it's confidence. Maybe it's love or money or status. Maybe it's just control of your life. Who knows? But until you lay down your confidence in those false gods and turn around and put it into the one that you've long been pushing out of your life, the one you kicked out of your phone, the one whose, whose name you don't even never wanted to hear, the name, don't want to go to church, don't want to hear about Jesus, don't want to hear about God. All you have to do, Jesus, is stop faithing there. Faith me. Trust me. The one that you've ignored. The one you said has illegitimate control over all. That's what are we doing most of the times when we've been confronted with Christianity? We just we don't use these words. Maybe we say, Jesus, you're an illegitimate control of, over, over my life. I want to control my life. I'm me. That's all I see when I look in the mirror. I'm legitimate to run my life. I think therefore I am. I'm running my life. You see. How's that working for you? How's it going? And in humility, put your faith in Jesus. If you don't do that, you cannot be saved. You can be used of God, but you cannot be saved. What we're saying is you have to both recognize that sin is the enemy at the gate, and he's already broken over the walls. He's already in your heart, and you need help now. You need saving now from the 
from the temptation to evil that's already there. Today is the day. And, and to do that, really do it, really no grace, you cannot, you cannot limit Jesus to merely Savior. Remember Jephthah, <laughs> he, uh, they just wanted him as general. But Jephthah does a little horse trading and says, no, can't just be your general. Got to be, got to be your leader too. You cannot just limit Jesus to be your Savior. He's got to be your Lord and Savior. He's got to be your Lord and Savior. You got to give him the title Lord. You have to humble yourself, knowing that Jesus doesn't save you from; He saves you for. He saves you for Himself. You become his. That's always been a part of the problem. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. I, only the leader can do this, right? Only God can do I will forgive their sins. He's got to be Savior and Lord. And it's not a work. It doesn't merit you anything to believe. It's an attitude of humility that makes you able to see would, you wouldn't see otherwise. But, but brothers and sisters, it does mean you've got to get off the throne of your own life. You are not capable of sitting on the throne of your own life. You are not a creator. You're not a Lord. It's the covenant promise of God to be your Lord and Savior. Let him sit there. Finally, God gives you certainty and salvation. We don't know. It's really interesting. We don't know where Jephthah learned the stuff that he learned. Um, you know, maybe as the son of a prostitute, he saw, saw a lot of deals being made, and, and uh, he makes a, a good deal here uh, for himself. He's not going to be taken. There in verse 9, Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight for you against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. Now, this is like classic covenant promise and fulfillment stuff. If you do this, if I do this for you, fight for you, you'll make me your head. Now, I'm not going to ruin the Jephthah story if it's new to you and you don't know it yet. There are a lot of twists and turns in the story, and they're, they're going to come up really fast. But this I will tell you, Jephthah is living out an old story as well as one to come. Just as life looks backwards and it looks forward at the same time. The old story is this. It's interesting. Jephthah knows God and he knows how God works. He knows his history. It's like that old hymn, I love to tell the story. He knows the story. He knows it so well that he knows God and how God works. He's confident. If the Lord gives those guys over to me, the Ammonites, I know he's really using me. I know the Lord did it. I know he's the one that accomplished it. If I have victory over the Ammonites, which, by the way, Jephthah is eager to point out, never happens. If I have victory, it will only be because the sovereign Lord does it. And then, I love this, he swears it out publicly. He gets the elders of Gilead to swear before the Lord as a witness but also among the people there in verse 11. He knows how covenants are made. For a half-caste Israelite, this guy knows his Bible. And the people, the people likely know theirs too. 
as they make Jephthah their ruler, they must have thought of all the old stories. They must have thought of their own history. They, they must have thought of Joseph, remember, who was rejected by his brothers and sold into slavery, but who later became their deliverer. Or maybe they thought of David, whose older brothers mocked him at first. It feels like an old story. It's, it's like Joseph and David. It points to, well, it points ahead to greater Davids and Josephs and greater Jephthahs. This one is the promise. This, this, the promise that he's got is, 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 is of one battle against one enemy, which is Gilead. right? But Jephthah is merely a down payment. Jephthah is merely a foretaste. He's a forerunner of a greater deliverer. He's a picture that gives you greater certainty when you see the fulfillment happen. Look, here is Jephthah. Questionable parentage. Illegitimate. But just as Jephthah's mother was a harlot, Jesus of Nazareth had. As a, as a, as a great ancestor, Rahab, who was a prostitute, who was a harlot, and just as Jephthah would deliver his people from Ammonite bondage, so Jesus would deliver his people from a far greater enemy of sin and death. Jephthah was rejected by his family. Jesus, likewise, was rejected by his own. Jesus was despised and rejected of men. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He came to his own, and his own knew him not. They all... They all deleted him from their, from their phone address book. Don't need him. Don't want him. Don't need his number. Don't want to see it pop up on my alerts. Don't want to see pick up my phone. Jesus, no, don't want that. Delete, delete, delete. Maybe what gives me the most confidence, I want you to have this confidence too, is when I see who Jephthah had to work with. How sweet it is to know that Jephthah was described as, as gathering around him worthless fellows. Take me. <laughs> now I measure up. <laughs> I can be worthless. I bet, I bet as Jephthah took his worthless friends into battle, he probably had friends to the right and to the left of him saying, can we sit to the right or left of you as we go into battle? just as Jesus, surrounded by worthless men, worthless men and women like us. But that's the point. We're saved by grace. It's not about who you are. It's not about how bad your heart is, how dirty it is, or how good it is, or how much you polish over, cover over, and pretend like you're not. It's about who he is for you. He sees us as we are. In the light of who a holy God is, we all measure up to worthless. Made in the image of God, worth, we should be worth more than we are. But we're talking about a holy God who comes all the way down in amazing grace and says, you're coming to me, right to my throne of grace. It's a throne grace. Let's pray. Lord God, 